Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Drunk Book Club, where we read books you might have heard of, but didn't bother with. I'm Bri, and uh, with me, as always, is Dorothy. Hello! And this time we are covering a book that Dorothy has put had on the list probably since we came up with the idea for this podcast. Because <laughs> she read it, and then had one of those moments. Well, I read part of it. Yes. And this was my mountain. Because once we came up with the idea to do this, I was like, okay, I can finally finish reading this, which I did. And then I was like, right, right, we definitely got to do this. And then, you know, a year later, we're doing it. Hooray! Yeah, I uh, I may have drunk my feet on this one. Uh, we are reading 1992's Lost Souls by Billy Martin, writing as Poppy Z. Bright. Uh, he is a well-established horror author from the 90s, uh, specifically vampire horror, and he is probably one of the most famous trans writers, uh, certainly in genre fiction. I I definitely feel for him that he established his hashtag brand back when he was still closeted, which is why he continued to write as Poppy Z. Bright, even after coming out as uh, Billy. Because this book, like I said, was published in 92. Uh, In 2003, he started kind of identifying as having that moment of a trans person's life where, you know, this is technically what you called me, would would call this because I totally looked it up. Uh, But, you know, I'm just me or whatever. And then around 2010, he started um, doing HRT and going by he, him pronouns. So we are going to refer to him as Billy Martin throughout. uh, Right. Because Uh, that's his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mentioned Poppy Zebright because that's what you're going to get if you Google. Um, thankfully, most official sources w- uh, have corrections. But that is still the name under which his books are published because his brand was established under that name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, recognizability. <sighs> the chills down my spine. I, I feel like every trans creative person has that moment of horror. Even as a cis woman, that's one of the reasons why when I got married, I chose to keep my maiden name or whatever, because I didn't want a disjunction between my degrees and my previous publications Mm -hmm. and my future works. So that whole situation of just wanting to keep a continuity so people can't scrutinize in confusion... It's very strange. Names are so strange. So I feel like I want to say right off the bat, we both read this book for the first time as adults. I read the first chapter as a teenager. And Uh the first chapter, significantly, is itself a closed story. It was originally published as a short story in a horror magazine or an anthology. One of the two. I can't remember. In like 88. Not bad. Uh, was written was published when he was twenty two, right? I think so. Um, let me check. I want to say it was eighty eight, which would have been when he was twenty two. But I bring it up because I am almost positive. I know at least yeah, eighty eight. So yeah, a, a wee twenty two year old still working out things and whatnot. And honestly, the short story is one of the strongest portions of the book. Um, mm, but still shitty. Yeah, uh, which is the thing that's that we're gonna have to re- grapple with here is there is some working through stuff in this book, but there's also just some shitty writing. Yeah, there is a lot I recognize in this book as things I wrote when I was a teenager. Uh, 
There's, there are elements of this book that are just like, ah, oh, shit, I wrote that short story when I was 17. There are also moments with some of the characters that are extremely recognizable to me personally as somebody who, you know, grew up as a sad, miserable, closeted goth kid in the 90s. There are just some viscerally recognizable moments with some of the characters. Definitely. And I feel like I can see how if you read this book at 15, it might have wound up being like viscerally feelsy for you. So we're not trying to say you suck if this book was important to you. And also, crucially, we dunk on Anne Rice a lot on this podcast, but as much as we didn't like this book and are going to, you know, shred it relentlessly for the next hour or so, Martin himself seems like a pretty okay dude. Yeah, and it, it's not like Chrome. Right, it's it's also, it's not like Chrome where there are, like, Nazi dog whistles throughout the book. Right, like, this is clearly closeted trans guy stuff going on with particularly the writing of women in this book. And as nearly as I can tell, Martin is an okay dude now. He took a break from writing in 2010 because his books have very much to do with New Orleans, and he found that he couldn't really write anymore after Katrina like you do, uh, but he's recently picked up writing again about a, a book of essays about uh, spirituality and religion and Stephen King Which novels. You called it. Yes. Yes, I did. I picked up this novel and said, this man has read Stephen King. Yeah, so Martin credits uh, Stephen King, Edgar Allan Poe, a lot of horror greats as his influences. Did he officially credit King? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But um, notably, there's one person he doesn't credit as an influence, and I have to call bullshit here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, sir. You read Anne Rice. You read Anne Rice so much that you made an entire, entire character. Book. An entire character in this book to flip off Anne Rice. Mm-hmm. It's as blatant as that chapter uh, where Anne Rice wrote an entire set of characters just to be pissy at the Lost Boys. Or the one where she wrote an entire section of the book to flip off the concept of Dracula. Mm -hmm. Which she hadn't read yet. Allegedly. You know. So, you know, it, it's a circle of death. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is a storied tradition. <laughs> I don't know. This is one of those novels. Like, it, it reminds me, I'm sure this is somebody's daughter of the blood, you know? Yeah, but this is one of those frustrating books where all the component parts are things that I should be interested in and like, but they're so shittily executed and hateful that I can't. Yeah. That it just enrages me. <laughs> yeah, and again, everybody, especially, you know, as some as somebody who's like a boomer age, you go through these things at a different rate, everybody's trans journey takes a different amount of time. I have colleagues who came out in their 30s. But at the same time, the, the level of virulent anger that reads in the subtext of this book is so teenage to me. And he was 26 when this novel was published. So it's a little bit harder for me. Just my, my instinct is to be like, oh, bro, I get you. We've all been there. Well, it's it also, it's not just the anger that reads this teenage to me. It is also the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of the characters are very O.C. Donut steel. Mm-hmm. This book is a lot of components of failed or annoying things that have been in other books that I really liked, but it, they all pile up together to sort of form a tipping mass of, fuck. I did throw this book in a tattoo parlor. Yeah. 
I was busy getting a tattoo and right through the book. Which, by the way, not a good idea to startle people who are giving tattoos. You're right. I really hope I didn't fuck up that guy's back piece. <laughs> I don't think you did, but like future reference. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, so again, if you got something out of this book as a wee teenager, good for you. We are going to dunk on it now as adults. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Uh, but for before we begin the proper journey, uh, what are we drinking? Ah, this book. Involves a bartender vampire from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and prominently featured in the narrative are two things. Uh-huh. Hurricanes and chartreuse. For tonight, I went with a variation on a slightly older hurricane recipe. So it's got the, you know, the dark rum, the light rum. Um, the recipe I used also had Galliano in it, which I wouldn't normally have bothered with, except that I had some Galliano in the house. Galliano is good. Uh-huh, it is. Lime juice, and I made the passion fruit syrup at home. So, because this is a book about vampires, while making the passion fruit syrup, I also added blood orange juice to the syrup mixture, and then just cooked it down on the stove. Yeah, if you go on our Twitter, at TrashPod, uh, there are photos. They look it's... upsetting. Passion fruit are creepy looking. Uh-huh. It's real gross. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's uh, like a blood orange hurricane unfortunately when you're cooking down only four passion fruits and some uh some blood orange juice that you've hand squeezed it doesn't make a lot of syrup so for the rest of the evening Vry has switched to a uh blood orange sangria that we found for discount <laughs> it's bad but i'm still drinking it <laughs> And um, I am working on the bottle of chartreuse we had, cut with a little bit of old Tom gin. Which burned my nose. There's no reason it should do that. And yet it did. You're a bartender. Your entire metric is fucked. I'm a bartender. I'm not a drunk. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, It is also good. I was only allowed one hurricane because that shit will knock you on your ass. Hurricanes are strong. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, you always got to put a little shake of nutmeg on top. I wish I had been drunk reading some of these passages. Um, <clears throat> Wasn't nobody stopping you? No, except for the fact that I wanted to be able to remember it later. This is one of those books where very little happens happens for a long time and then everyone goes home. Well, most of them go home. Yeah. The people who matter. Yeah, excuse me, this is one of those books where very little happens, everybody fucks around, and by the end, all the characters you like are dead. Who did you like? Lane and Christian were nice. <laughs> and Anne? Anne was, Anne was, I don't know if I liked Anne, but I found her interesting. Like, she was very abrasive, but, like, I felt for her. And, um, end of list. So, I guess we should just talk about the plot a little bit, and then we can get into why it's so frustrating and upsetting and gross, right? Yeah, I feel like because it's so meandery, uh going beat by beat isn't going to work so well for this one. Or- I also bookmark passages. Oh, yeah, don't worry. I have screenshots on my phone. <laughs> we've got we've got shit. There's some writing here. Again, on top of the fact that this book betrays some really repugnant like mm-hmm. attitudes, it's also just badly written. Yeah, it's, um, it's, um, 
Secret bone language. Secret bone language. Mm-hmm. The book begins with a prologue of a uh, Christian who is a vampire bartender in New Orleans. He is, at time of prologue, 368 years old. And uh, how would you describe Christian? Well, he's a vampire bartender in New Orleans. He um, is tall with long black hair. He dresses all in black. He's got eyes as green as chartreuse. Mm. Um, he's very pale. Um, and he suffers from a sort of profound detachment from humanity. But he's very interested in aesthetics. Huh. That is uh, coincidental. I don't know what you're talking about. So every night to Christian's bar, this young woman named Jessie comes in. Young woman. She's 15. You're right. This child named Jessie comes in and it's basically a case of, well, I'll let you get drunk here so you don't get into trouble anywhere else. And he feeds her like Applebee's drinks. It goes really deep into how immature and childish she is and how um, how dirty bad wrong it is because she's so young and uh, she, she eats the cherries out of her drinks like candy with her fingers. And Who doesn't do that? I'm asking. Okay, but the way it's described. I know. And it keeps talking about like... No, I'm asking him. Her, her little, her childishly orange painted toenails in her sandals... Um, she goes around in a black silk uh, slip, and she desperately wants to meet the vampires. Uh, she has. She ran away from home at the wee age of fifteen so that she could meet a vampire and become a vampire, which uh, in New Orleans. Which we'll get into. I will get into why that's fucked up after the time skip. So we have Christian, who is basically the representative of the old vampire, the Anne Rice vampire. You guys, I think you got it. It's the Anne Rice vampire. That's what he's there for. Yeah. Um, and then one night while Jesse is there, Martin's three real vampires roll into town in their party bus. And I usually say I wish we had more of these punk vampires. I love a I punk vampire. I'm all about this. Also, Martin name drops both the Lost Boys and Near Dark in this book. Mm-hmm. It's truly obnoxious. His subtlety <laughs> is non- like they exist in universe. They also all have incredibly asinine names. Um, so these fuckos don't have fangs and can go out in daylight and basically are just assholes. They do file their teeth into points, though, because they're those guys. That makes you have less tooth, not more. <laughs> yeah. Like, you'd have to have teeth like Tom fucking Cruise to start with in order to pull that off. Much teeth. He's got very admirable long canines. I wish I had them. Oh, mood, though. I'm yeah. jealous of Tom Cruise's teeth. That's a weird sentence that no one's going to take out of context. I'm just saying, it's true, though. It's true, they're nice teeth. So these three vampires, uh, the central one is Zilla, who is gosh so darn androgynously pretty, and also he's an asshole, and he's flocked by his... Uh, he has caramel-colored hair that he ties back with a... Billy Martin's favorite word is silk, and he doesn't know what the fuck it means. With a purple silk ribbon. And he's got poisonously green eyes, and he's, I don't know, pretty. Except his hands are so manly. Uh-huh. His hands give away his gender, which is just bad phrasing. And he he has two cronies who are pretty and stupid, and their names are Molokai and Twig. And um, I am gonna find that passage about what Molokai and Twig look like, because it pisses me off. <laughs> Go on. <clears throat> so... 
Molokai and Twig have some Sweet Valley Twins action going on, except not at all. Molokai and Twig's features were like two sketches of the same face, done by different artists. One using sharp, straight angles, the other working in circles and curves. Molokai was baby-faced, which, with large, round eyes and a wide, wet mouth. He liked to smear with orange lipstick. Twig's face was angular and clever. His eyes tracked every movement. But the two were of the same size and shape, and more often than not, they walked or staggered in step with each other. That's not the same face! Those they're, are different faces! They're, they're the same face, except for the different shape. And, uh... And the different shape and bone structure. Mm-hmm. But and except the fact for that, that... they look nothing alike. Identical. Like, they're the same face, except not at all alike, but their bodies are the same. What the fuck are you saying? <laughs> Billion. Uh, they suffer from anime same-face syndrome, and it's very rude of you to call them out like this. They don't suffer from anime same-face syndrome. They very specifically don't. One of them was drawn by Rumiko Takahashi. <laughs> uh, the other was by, like, fucking Yasuko Aoike. Like, like, these are, are different features, specifically. So they blow into town to be assholes, and there's a much... Because they like to drink and eat sweets and it's really gross drink blood. How often it focuses on them eating sugar without any like connection to anything. Like it just keeps focusing in on them eating sugary snacks in the grossest way possible, like spitting them into one another's mouths without any payoff for like, but why are they into sugar? Be it's frustrating. Be because depravity and empty calories or something. Hedonism. I, I mean, it's better than them being into Indian food. You blocked out that passage. Uh huh. It's fine. 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 Uh, so the upshot of this is that Zilla fucks Jesse during mm. the night that he that they're in town, and Christian is just so bowled over because he hasn't seen another vampire in hundreds of years, like a puppy, like a sad vampire puppy. Again, I can't imagine who this is supposed to be. Just so lonely and looking for connection. And also so submissive and therefore worthless. Mm-hmm. Submissiveness is looked down on in this book. Which should work with nothing's character arc, but doesn't because nothing sucks. More on him in a second. Nothing is a person. Uh-huh. To be clear. Yeah, so Zilla uh, has sex with Jesse. They leave the next day, and then it turns out that Jesse is pregnant, and Christian- And she moves in with Christian- who also has sex with her, sort of just in a in the same way that one lays down in front of a train, in that he, I don't know, lays there and allows- We don't know where it's going. Uh-huh. But we'll be together. They will not be together, audience. They will not. Also, she's 15. She's 15. Like, he's not really interested in her, but he's also 15, not going to be like, don't- But don't worry, we later find out. She has damaged goods. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then nine months later, she's dead. She gives birth as Christian pours whiskey down her throat, and she gives birth to a vampire baby, which tears its way out of her vagina violently, despite not having teeth, but it's chewing on a piece of flesh when it comes out. And so Christian dumps her body in the river, wraps the baby in a well, blanket. Well, he holds the baby up to look out at the, at the window at the French Quarter, so that it will imprint on the geography of the area and and hold that in its that map in its mind forever, 
Which is how vampires work, I guess. Yeah, that never becomes relevant again. At all. And then he uh, puts a tag in the baby basket, you know, and says, take care of the baby. This is nothing. He will bring you luck. He does not. He does not. This is a lie. And takes the baby to Maryland, which is where I get to be salty. <laughs> and uh, smash cut to 15 years later. Which is 1992. Now. The now of 1992. And this is where I gotta call some bullshit. Because by this math, Jesse was behaving this way in 1977. Uh-huh. Let's move on until we, uh... So, the ma- the main thrust of the book is broken up between two character sets. I guess three if you include Christian, but he's kind of with the vampires. Mm-hmm. You have nothing, the, uh, the little bit, uh, Jesse's son who has grown up and is now a shitty 15 year old and he always felt and he sucks yeah he kind of sucks i should like this character uh-huh yeah he he should be a relatable sad goth boy and i'm sure he was for somebody and he has you know his parents call him jason but he's always felt like that's not right and he doesn't belong here and he belongs somewhere else and i'll give martin credit there is this one passage that i'm like even if I didn't know he was trans, like, there would be the full-on body snatchers moment. But I feel like this character would work better if he were a trans character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's this line that goes, he, he finds the scrap of of paper that his parents kept for some reason. And it said, uh, and he ceased to be Jason. He became nothing, for that was what the note named him. He still answered to Jason, but the name was like an echo of a half-forgotten life. I am nothing, his mind whispered. I am nothing. He liked the name. It did not make him feel worthless. On the contrary, he began to think of himself as a blank slate upon which anything could be written. The words he inscribed on his soul were up to him. Like, all right, I see you, sir. Well done. And there there are a lot of little moments like that in this book where I'm like, I like that description, or that's a nice resonant line. And then the rest of the book comes clashing down. For me, a lot of the best moments in the book were about the very grounded aspects of nothing and to a lesser extent Stephen Ghost's uh, mm-hmm. and Anne's lives that were just so worked into the environment and the time period and the emotional experience. Like, there's a scene where nothing um, is fucking around with a candle in his bedroom and accidentally sets his comforter on fire and has to douse it in the middle of the night without... Letting his parents know it's happening. Oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And, like, I still have a burn scar on my knee from doing exactly that in my bedroom in the 90s. And and not being able to make a sound while putting out a fire on my leg. <laughs> because, oh, fuck, I'll be in so much trouble. Like, there are really resonant moments. Unfortunately, they don't add up to anything. They just sort of slip through your fingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so nothing finds the inscription... That came with him, and you know, it has. He has that moment that he was the chosen prince, called to his destiny all along, and he hitches a ride to Missing Mile, which is where. Also, he and his friends are very edgy. Oh yeah, bisexuality was very in fashion. We're told it is a phrase that is used in this book that just made me, you know, flip it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's a bummer. And so he, he hitches a ride to Missing Mile where his... Because he got a mixtape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> played by a band that he loves and it really speaks to him. And Missing Mile's in North Carolina. 
Yep. Meanwhile, said members of the band, Stephen Ghost, are fucking around in North Carolina, and Steve is sad because he raped his girlfriend and she won't talk to him anymore. And that, Ghost- that's not speculation. Yep. That is literally Steve's emotional plot. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's a protagonist, if anyone in this book is. Yep. He sucks. Steve's the worst. I hate Steve. I hate him so fucking much. So, he's he would be, nowadays, a True Blood character. Uh, Ghost is wispy and sensitive and can see ghosts. Do you see? That's just his name. His name is just Ghost. He is an independently wealthy guy in this small southern town. We don't talk about why his family would be independently wealthy. But he's 22. Um, his grandma, Ms. Deliverance, was the town witch before she died and left him a house and all the means to not bother with anything except getting high and drunk and fucking around with it, with enabling his rapist friend to do music. Ms. Deliverance is the only woman this book doesn't hate. She's Probably because she's dead. Yeah. I mean, Ms. Catlin is allowed to be a crone. Mm. This book's okay with crones. It's true. Just not women who have sex. Not maidens or mothers, though. Yeah, so that's, they're just fucking around and eventually the other characters run into them. But their ver- their plot line is very reactive. And Even though they're the bulk of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghost is also an opportunity to just insert other shitty go- ghost stories that you couldn't shop to magazines into the book. Y'all. Y'all guess what's in this book, though? Tell them what's in the book, though. What, what is it, Bri? What is it? Well, they go up on the hill and Ghost... And, well, and Steve tells a story uh-huh. to Ghost. About these two lovers who drove out into the middle of nowhere, and they heard on the radio. Men door. <laughs> okay. And car door. It's just in this fucking book. It's just in the book. We just get a character recounting that story in dialogue. In uh. dialect, because he's slurring from drunkenness, because he's also a shitty alcoholic. And even before he raped his girlfriend, the reason she started fucking around on him was because he kept hurting her during sex because he was too drunk to control himself. And she had the audacity to complain about that. He's got a big dick. Also, this book keeps referring to Anne's vagina as a saddle, and I hate it. I don't know what that means. This book hates vaginas. I mean... Like, specifically, vaginas. I mean, again... I know there's some shit, but this book hates vaginas and people who have them. uh, And as a person who has a vagina, it makes me uncomfortable to read it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, alright, this is a relatable thing you're working through, but that doesn't mean, like, it's still at the end of the day divorced from yourself and other people have to read it. You have published this. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I almost suspect that part of the reason Martin was lauded as a real forthcoming um, person in visceral horror in the late 80s and early 90s was because while being perceived as a woman, Mm -hmm. he was writing horror that was as violently misogynistic as any of the greats of his time. Mm -hmm. So it was perceived as more intense and real. Well, it's also hard to read because it's not localized to a character having these feelings. It is the narrative voice of the novel itself. Yeah, this whole book has a real hatred going on. Mm -hmm. And again, even if that is a turning out of feelings you're having, it's unpleasant to read. And again, I think it may have contributed to his success in the marketplace. Because 
it's edgy. Yeah. Yeah. And edgy is always truth. Am I right? Yeah. So while nothing is hitchhiking down the road, he runs across the vampire party van and starts fucking his dad. Like, not on purpose, but he starts fucking his dad. Uh Uh-huh. Meanwhile, over in New Orleans, an old guy comes into Christian's bar and it's like, hey, it's been 15 years, but I just suddenly decided I want to avenge my daughter. And uh, almost succeeds because on this night, the sad vampire got sad drunk. Well, but I mean, they did a special bone dance, though. <laughs> a special bone dance. Where is it? Where's the bone dance? Yeah, so where is it? There's a running thing where Christian um, likes people described as children. Uh, like, his preferred victims are, like, late teens, early 20s, and beautiful uh, so he goes to a club and finds a sad goth child, as it's described. And it's the worst description I've ever heard. Through the t-shirt damp with sweat, the boy's skin was hot, alive. Christian felt the little ridges of the spine through the thin cloth. So, okay, so far, like, this is some sensual description. The boy looked at Christian for a moment, his eyes darker than before. Then he smiled and moved so that his hip was touching Christian's. All right. Fair enough. Their hip bones met and spoke to each other in a secret bone language. (laughs) Secret Secret bone language. Bone? (laughs) Like, what the fuck? What the fuck were you... What the fuck were you trying to say? Like, I get that... You're trying to say something about how all of us are just skeletons walking around covered in meat, but we're all really dead inside. And this is like the connection of of bones and dead parts masked by living. But secret bone language is an objectively funny and bad phrase that should have been struck in editing. (laughs) Uh Also, (laughs) like, like. The killers did it better in the song Bones. <laughs> <laughs> also, the child thing is so weirdly petulant because, yeah, Christian is fucking teenagers. With, he's fucking teenagers, but also... And killing them. It's true. But also, when nothing is fucking his old-ass dad and his vampire groupies, he's not referred to with that language. So it kind of feels like... Even though he's... 15. 15-ish. Uh-huh. It's unclear, frankly, based on like the fast forward. But anyway, so this so old... this is another this is another Anne Rice thing. So yeah. so this is specifically ew. Wouldn't it be gross if there was a vampire that was into kids? I'm like, yes, but also your vampires are also into kids. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing the thing. So this old dude shows up in Christian's bar. His name is Wallace Creech, and he's Jesse's dad. He waited 15 years obligingly to get his revenge. Yeah, because he sensed that the plot was about to kick off. And he tries to kill Christian, almost succeeds. You're avoiding talking about the real problem here. Yes, I am, because I hate Why are it. you making me say it? Why do I always gotta say it? Fine, I'll say the thing. Uh, he sucks because he raped his daughter, and now he feels bad about it, I guess? He's a fundamentalist Christian, though. But he's good, but misguided. But the real problem is that his daughter was fucked up. See, his daughter 
let him see her titties one time, and therefore everything that happened after that was her fault. Well, and it's also described at the very least as he remembers her taking the initiative. It's a, I hate this and I feel dirty. Allegedly, like, nicked his throat and drank his blood because she was super into vampires and wanted to become one. And in the book, it's presented as because she's obsessed with Dracula. Now, Rye. Yes? Is getting turned into a vampire with your own decision-making processes still intact really a thing in Dracula? It is not particularly. Despite the citation of Lucy, she's really more of a, you know, an elusive madwoman figure. A a rambling um, ghost. And why would you, like, go to New Orleans to try and become a vampire based on an obsession with Dracula? Um... Well, I don't know, because- And they're... then become obsessed with this tall, dark-haired bartender in New Orleans. What? There there aren't any parts of uh, Dracula that take place in New Orleans. Quincy is from Texas. Mm-hmm. Cecil, d- chill, buddy. Cecil is angry, too. <laughs> Thank you, Cecil. <laughs> but the thing is, so this book is set in 91 or 92. Mm-hmm. After a 15-year time skip from- when she died. Uh-huh. Meaning that she died in 77. So this bitch got in on the absolute ground floor of Anne Rice fandom, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Interview with the Vampire was published in 76. So apparently she just dove right on it. Just right the fuck into the deep end. Which is why you should always be careful when you include a time skip in your book. Yeah, I, I feel like we don't emphasize enough how much Interview with the Vampire truly drastically changed the, na- the the landscape of vampire fiction. Like, trading blood to turn somebody into a vampire comes directly from that book. These vampires are different, by the way. Oh, yeah. Th- these vampires are a separate species, but not. I don't know. It's stupid. We'll get into that. But, like, the, the trading blood thing, that's Vampire Chronicles. And the, the subservient dra- vampires in Dracula were basically, like, thralls. Right. right. You kill the main vampire, they all die. They they are not self-sufficient vampires. But, so, the, the, the upshot of this is that Christian doesn't die, but it does necessitate him needing to leave town. This is one of those things where editing could have helped it, because two different times he attempts to uh, ward vampires off with a cross, and it doesn't work either time, so it's very funny the second time he tries to do it. But he goes all, the power of Christ compels you, and then shoots Christian. And then Christian completely heals from the bullet wound in like an hour and manages to get home before morning. And then he drinks chartreuse. Has a real bad time of it. No, he drinks the chartreuse before Wallace shows up. Right. But he, and it's he's drunk the he's, first time they meet. Right. It's because he's depressed. Mm-hmm. So oh, chartreuse is a motif here. Yeah. It's not like one that goes anywhere, but it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The upshot of this is that Christian has to leave town and he goes out searching for... Zilla and Molokai and Twig. And eventually, all of these parties converge in Missing Mile, where nothing is really, really set on meeting Ghost. Everybody loves nothing, for no apparent reason. Because he's... I don't know. Because he's the protagonist, is why. He's not, though. Again, Steve and Ghost are closer to protagonists here. He's... He's something. He exists. 
And uh, it, it all happens to come about that uh, because Zilla is pissed at Stephen Ghost for getting nothing's attention, he sleep, uh, Zilla sleeps with Anne, and now Anne is pregnant. So when the vampire party van decides to go back to New Orleans it's, with Christian. It's literally a vampire party van. I, yeah, it's I'm not, not joking. Joke. This is some... They've got... They, they've got nasty carpet in there and a mattress in the back. And bottles of vodka mixed with blood. It's it's something. But they also murder uh, Nothing's Convenient Friends, Lane. Poor Lane. Who exists just to die? Yep, to be uh, to be nothing's first victim to teach him what he is, man. Yeah, because um, nothing runs away from home, and his sad gay friend Lane, who is sad and gay and therefore pathetic, Martin was working through some shit. Uh huh. His sad, pathetic friend Lane somehow managed just to find him on several hundred miles of highway and and get into the same skeevy van. Seems fine. And nothing is just sort of down with murdering him. In order to stay with his dad friend. His boy dad. Which they don't know that they're related until Christian shows up and is like, oh, hey, that's your kid. And then then they're super into it. Yeah, then they keep fucking and, uh... The the word daddy is used. uh Uh-huh. And... And so (sighs) after... After Zilla fucks Ange, she is clearly meant the word bewitched is used multiple times but this book is profoundly incurious as to her internal state so we don't really go into that they go to new orleans to hang out there because christian wants to go back and nothing wants to see where he was born and goes after them because she wants to follow zilla and ghost and steve follow after her because Because steve feels possessive Uh uh-huh and ghost will enable literally anything steve does yep ghost is a shitty person yeah ghost kind of sucks Ghost is supposed to be the 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 really sensitive empath of the book, yeah, which makes like, it worse. Supposed to be the pure-hearted moral center, but his entire plotline hinges on the fact that he is so deeply empathetic that he's the only one who understands Steve's pain, the pain of this rapist who feels really bad about the rape he did sometimes. And like Ghost is super dug into how he doesn't really give a shit about how Anne feels. Like he'll be superficially nice to her. I guess. Oh, he even goes so far as to say, well, that was a shitty thing he did to you, man. But bros before hoes. Mm-hmm. And, like, I know it's because he wants to fuck Steve. Oh, it's But they don't is. even get into, get together in this book. Not no. that that would make it better, but at least it would be honest. Uh-huh. Instead of this barefaced bullshit. The, the characters eventually did end up fucking, but it was in a chat book that Martin never published widely. So I haven't read it. Yeah, they, well, they, they have a drunken makeout. Excuse me, it is a single pure and emotional kiss. Mm-hmm. Because Ghost is too pure to fuck. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. And then they go to New Orleans and Ghost and Steve meet somebody else's OCs. Not a joke. Yep. <laughs> and it's they, dire. They meet the Raventons, who are literally a pair of OCs that Martin borrowed from Monica C. Kendrick. I don't know who she is, but these are some Vampire the Masquerade. Absolutely, they are. Characters. Actually, they're probably mage. Mm. But, you know, definitely White Wolf RP characters. Two of the characters in Lost Souls, Arcadian Ashley Raventon, are her brain children. She has kindly allowed them to make a guest appearance here. And boy, is it obvious. Yeah, they, they feel like they have come from a world and a 
system of magic that is entirely other to what's going on in this book. And then he kills them. (laughs) Yeah, and then he just kills off his friend's OCs that he's borrowed. Which, like, okay. Fuck. Um, Like, Ashley Raventon had had waist-length burgundy hair, which sparkled. Yep. And he hung himself in the ball tower. The ball tower. (laughs) Oh, also, we didn't even mention the twins. Um, there's vampire twins that feed on beauty and fuck one another. I mean, it's not really relevant to the plot. Their hair is described simultaneously as extremely silken, but also super crunchy from overprocessed dye. Yep. Again, Martin does not know what silk means. As somebody who used to work in textiles, this is immensely frustrating to me. The the OCs are relevant because Ghost and Steve show up and talk to this guy. And he's like, yo, uh, I had a vampire girlfriend who suffered from death by baby. She was celibate and we never had sex. Except that we totally fucked all the time. I just couldn't get my dick inside her vagina. So like. But like she was celibate. <laughs> Yeah. Because she didn't want to die of a vampire baby. Which which is where I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. This is the same problem I had with Highlander. Go on. So, I could deal with these vampires being like the tarantula hawk of humanity. Mm-hmm. Like, where, if, where they're a separate species, but they use you as like a host body to procreate. You know, like, uh, like a chestburster. Right. Exactly. I I could deal with that concept, which is what I thought I was trucking along with throughout this book, where every single named vampire has been a dude. Right. Thus far. So clearly all vampires are dudes. I thought that just all vampires had dicks. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But then it comes out that female vampires are a thing. Right. But they are literally equally as vulnerable to being killed in labor as human women after they fuck a vampire. And female vampires are vulnerable to this, even when they somehow get raped by a random child. Yep. Yeah. Which is how she got pregnant. Yeah. She's a super strong vampire, but, like, she got drunk, though, so... So she just got raped and died. And I presume he grabbed her on the upper arm. Which is, as we know, completely effective against all women in movies ever. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, but, it's, but, which is, like, extra boggling because, like, it's not even that vampire sperm is what creates the killer baby because she's raped by a human dude. Yeah. And still dies. Yeah, but so, like, if all vampires had dicks and were basically tarantula hawks, it would be much more interesting because then they could fuck anybody in any orifice. And then, like... A few months later, you'd just fucking die. That'd be interesting. You know what? That would be upsetting in a way that I could get behind. Like, what if you give some dude a blowjob and then your head explodes a few (gasps) months later? That's stupendous. What if a guy gets fucked in the ass and then just suddenly ass burster? (laughs) See, this is a better concept. Uh Uh-huh. Just predatory vampire dicks. Yeah, but I'm the fact that it's equally fatal for female vampires is just dumb. Or the, even if like their va- healing capabilities don't do anything, right? Or or even if like vampires with vaginas were a thing, but like vagina don't do nothing though. Uh, right, like it'd still be dumb sterility, not really a woman stuff, but but it would still be a be- step above because it would still be tying womanhood to fertility, which would be dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 or like, just anything but this. Anything but this. Um, but, um, she, she freaked out and ripped her womb out with, 
with a stiletto that she always carried, but apparently didn't use against this guy who, like, raped her. She always had it, except for the time when it was plot convenient for her not to have it. But yeah, the, the vampires have killer sperm that kill everybody. Mm. Apparently killer eggs, too. Mm. Which kill their own... Rip Rochelle. Her name is Rochelle. Mm. Yeah, you know, the same she, she vampire always, Rochelle. She always wore, glass, wore sunglasses, even at night. Mm-hmm. And had long, dark hair with, with purple tips. By the way, um, these characters all look like this, guys. Also, all of them. Also, Martin's vampires can go out in the sun, which is my number one pissy pet peeve about... Christian can't. Christian can't because he's the old vampire. And he also can't eat anything but blood. Which is why the Chartreuse makes him so sick. Whereas all the other vampires are getting drunk and high and being assholes all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they have evolved through some nebulous means that's not really... Which, again, if it was like an alien thing... So they go to the... So Stephen Ghost go to this woman's OC because he... His dead girl... After his girlfriend died, he started working on this uh, abortifagic drug. And he's like, if you kidnap this girl, Anne, and don't explain to her what you're doing... We can force her to take this, and it might save her. Maybe. Then he doesn't tell them that he's never tested it. And there's this lengthy sequence where Steve specifically has to take her panties off as she's lying there paralyzed and helpless and having flashbacks to the time he raped her. And but it's wind her crotch with uh, with um, bandages and kiss her right over her vagina. And then he leaves her in the room and goes away. And uh, she bleeds out because this shit don't work. Because it don't work. And also because um, Arcady Raventon, that's his name. It sure is. Gets distracted and, and fucks the vampires he's been letting live in his house that killed his brother. And he dies. Yep. So he's not paying attention while she dies. And so Steve is really pissy because Steve sucks. And he decides the only thing to do is vengeance. So he goes and hunts down the vampire party van, succeeds in stabbing Christian, who had nothing to fucking do with this. Literally nothing. Literally nothing. And and then he manages- I mean, Steve was in the same building when Zilla fucked Jesse. That's about it. Yep. And then he manages to kill Zilla, and then he goes away because nothing and Ghost have- a kindred connection or some shit. So Ghost convinces him not to kill nothing. And then they all go or home. Or Molokai or Twig. Who are shitty and not even characters. Let them die. Yeah, they're they're accessories. They're It's so that Zilla can have a posse when mm-hmm. he needs extra force in certain scenes. They, Molokai and Twig exist to have dominant, dominant behaviors exerted upon them, thereby affirming who's in charge of the scene. And like I know they're just des- they're described as being, as as looking like animu boys, but all I can see is that is that skinny motherfucker with the shirt with, with the shirtless motherfucker with the vest and metalocalypse and the stringy long brown hair. <laughs> That's what they both look like to me. But but drawn by different artists. I said what I said. So like one's deviant art and one's for affinity. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody goes home. And we flash forward to the far-flung future of 2042. <laughs> 50 years in the future. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, there we discover that nothing is part of a band. Bands are important here. 
Stephen Ghost are in a band. Like, I have... This whole thing is alien to me because I was never that guy who had, like, a band or a piece of music that, like, moved my life. So it doesn't... I was so poor I couldn't even go to the record and take traders. And I was too much of a forthright wuss to steal shit. So I didn't have a lot of tapes at the time. But, like, there is a sort of viscerality to the tape Mm. in this book. But... What was the genre of music? Ah, yes. So, 50 years in the future, nothing, Molokai and Twig are a band that plays snuff rock. I need to pour another drink after hearing that again. (laughs) And they're extremely edgy because their faces are, like, scarified. And they do that, and they're just- And also they take blood in hypodermic needles now. It's just so that we know that nothing's still fucking doing this shit. He- I don't care. It's just humiliatingly dire. And that's the end of the book. I feel like nothing is so- Like I said, a lot of things in this book are individual components of things I have either put up with or liked in other books, but are in aggregate or are kind of fumbled here- to the extent that it really starts to piss me off. Like, nothing is an extremely passive character, and I'm okay with that. Like, Shinji Akari Defense Squad 2K forever. But at least Shinji's arc as kind of being a shitty teen is going towards a final moment of self-realization, one way or the other. Nothing just... It should be... The book is trying to make it sympathetic that he has fallen in with the He has run away from home and fallen in with this magnetic predatory figure. But all of the characters are so invested in telling him it's not his fault and he's going to be okay. And also anything that you're feeling is okay. And he beats himself up for the shitty things that he does, but he, we, he never feels... He, he never feels in crisis enough to do something, to have a moment of clarity that he needs to get away or, or change. Because he knows nobody in the book wants to hurt him. Like, at no point does he personally feel imperiled by anything. So he feels completely comfortable letting other people hurt other people. It, it knows- And, like, his, his moments of self-actualization derive from victimizing others. Mm-hmm. And it knows that it needs to have a moment where he stands up to Zilla, but it's it doesn't. It His feels father, so weightless. Who he's fucking. Uh huh. It doesn't actually result in anything changing because Zilla dies immediately afterward. Also, um, he and Zilla find out that Anne's knocked up, mm-hmm. and they discuss whether they're going to eat their ba- eat the baby, their son's bend. But specifically, Zilla is not going to let Molokai and Twig eat the baby. Not one pink sugar drop. And and this is like the obnoxious focus on candy. Mm -hmm. That goes nowhere. Also, fat people don't exist in this universe. Oh no, everybody is. This book wound up being like extremely triggering in an unexpected way. It's like everybody is that very thin animu looking type of character. Like they're all heroin thin or just naturally beautifully narrow. And there's a lot of focus on like... Can I see my hip bones yet? Uh-huh. Like, everybody is so proud of how malnourished they are, and it's it's beautiful and amazing, and shows how really ethereal and deep they are. Because they're not, like, worrying about boring shit like eating food. Mm-hmm. It's very upsetting that there is one fat person. That's, oh, yeah. Who, whose perspective... Head-hopping. 
head hopping. There's one fat character whose head we hop into for a split second just to affirm that Zilla is sexy. This, this book thinks fat people never fuck. Ever. <laughs> like in their whole lives. Just never did it. Like it's it's this woman who works at a gas station and is fat and has never experienced sexual longing or desire and never had sex in her whole life. And then she sees this 20-year-old vampire motherfucker and and has a, an awakening in her lawn. It's kind of like if the convenience store scene from Magic Mike XXL sucked. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Because that scene is great. Uh-huh. Like, Joe Manganiello is just so filled with joy and silliness. And also he pays for everything he wasted. And, and it's not about turning her on. It's about brightening her day. It's yeah, a nice and scene. making her laugh. Uh-huh. I like that scene. Yeah, this is like that if it sucked and was about proving how sexy he is by awakening- Even to people who could never fuck. Uh Uh-huh. To these sad fatties. Yeah. It's bad. And like- Like, even a sad fatty could be so foolish mm -hmm. as to want him. What the fuck? And I mean, I don't- I feel bad, like, continually blowing up his spot because no author is one-to-one their work, but in a work that's this driven, I keep feeling- driven to go i've seen pictures of you in 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 now sir you are a stocky gentleman i recognize this teenage self-loathing but there's self-loathing and then there's loathing of everybody who has anything in common with me Uh uh-huh which again is like book's problem out onto everyone else there are so many very personal emotions that i recognize in this book but the fact that it, it it becomes a whole worldview that that is mapped onto an entire cast makes this book tough to sympathize with. It's also pretty virulently anti-abortion. Yeah, so... Like, oh. Okay, I feel like this is a good time to stop and tell the story of the class. So, flashback to a few years ago. Sean was taking... Sean, the, our it, co-host... From the other, from the mainline podcast. Was taking a class on writing. Mm-hmm. Um, because he wanted to just get better at it. And he took it with this woman. And apparently while he was chatting with her after class, she mentioned that she had taught a course about vampire literature. So of course I was like, well, fuck. I gotta see me that syllabus. And so I emailed her and I was like, you know, I'm teaching... I would like to see your syllabus and talk with you about it and how you structured it and what you were focusing on because it was a vampires and sexuality course. So she agreed to meet with me. I went to her office. I looked at her syllabus and she also had paperwork on like what each unit of it was and what each book that they looked at was focusing on. And she had all the expected stuff, but This was the book she chose for the section on queer sexuality. Like, she had Interview with the Vampire in there, but that was not for the section on queer sexuality. This book was. Specifically, she was using it to focus on deviance, queerness, and polysexuality. Mmm. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of that. Why don't we just throw out the whole suitcase? But yes, it was quite an excruciating experience sitting in this woman's office as she constantly got distracted on tangents because she was one of those people who thinks that if you have ADHD and just tell people you have ADHD, that's the same as dealing with it. 
I have ADHD. Ditto, ditto, ditto. Um, yeah. And just, you know, I'm essentially closeted in this moment. As she's talking about how she, a straight woman, is using this book to teach vampires as queerness in her class. And, and how wonderful it is that the incest scenes exist to really explore deviance in the book about queer vampires. Hmm. Here's the thing about this book. Yes, dudes fuck in it. But it has this profound... There's that feeling of self-loathing again. It has this profound um, distaste for sexuality in general uh queer sex like queer sexuality is next is is closer than heterosexuality not, to i would not say queer sexuality i would say phallocentric mm. sexual content because it's not that straightness is bad it's that anything involving a vagina mm. is treated as bad that's true there 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 ain't no queer women in this book yeah um, well, there are the posures. Ah, uh, yes, during the uh, in in nothing's group of friends with the women who have with with, with his the fellow teenage, teenage girls, girls who who have sex for for show. Yes, for for the gratification of onlookers. But with Lane, it's deep because he's he's having sex with girls, but really he's a gay deep down, and that is superior because there's the more dicks, the better. Uh huh. So that's a layer deeper than having sex involving a vagina, but deeper than that is to not want, want sex at all and to just yearn for pure emotional connection. Ghost is gonna get railed raw all the time, is the thing, because Steve is violent during sex and doesn't take his partner's feelings into account. Mm hmm. This is an established character fact, and it's what made Anne want to fuck the, the random college professor dude in the first place. Um, that's why Steve raped Anne is because she was sleeping with another guy who didn't cause her physical pain every time they had sex. Mm-hmm. So he decided that, that the reaction to that was not to break up with her. It was to violently rape her. Steve sucks. Uh-huh. But there's like, th- there is, right? Like this this running thing for the, like, even when early on when nothing is like having casual bisexual, you know, sexy hangout parties with his teen friends, he's like, Man, but I really wish I could be having a deep brotherly soul connection with Ghost, who I feel like really gets me, even though I've never met him. And but I just have his mixtape. Uh-huh. And like, which is written on with crayon. Yeah. Which is realistic. <laughs> and, and like, Ghost and Steve, Ghost is absolutely trying to get in Steve's pants, but it's framed but it's- as, like, this deep brotherly affinity for these friends, and they have one sad, drunk kiss that Steve's not going to acknowledge in the morning. And that's so important, man. Because Ghost would never ask anything of Steve, and that makes him better. And, and so much, to- and again, everybody and their dog who meets Ghost talks about how pure he is. And one person wants to fuck Ghost, and that makes him a gross, creepy creeper. Well, and like, the, it's not even the Ghost is ace, because um, they actually- No, he's pure. Yeah, exactly, they- uh, the the psychic vampire ghosts who kill Arcady mentioned that, oh man, ghost ghost wouldn't get down with us. Um, and the one's like, why? Because he's too asexual. And the other one's like, no, because he's too pure, man. I'm like, okay. So this is a book about rampant queer sexuality and like sweaty, dirty details that thinks that that is gross and shameful. The weird thing is, this book tries very hard to be edgy by being gross. But it feels very childish to me. Like, it's not filth. 
It's not even the sophomoric type of filth that John Waters creates, which is sophomoric, but is also intrinsically tied to his experience of growing up and having a sense of himself as wrong and dirty and then reclaiming that concept mm-hmm. for himself. It, it just focuses on being gross in really dumb ways that don't impress me at all. Mm. Well, and I, oh my God, the scene where nothing it, before he gets hooks up with the vampire party, where, where he fucks the, the creepy, grotesque oh, you know albino, uh, fundamentalist. We, I feel like this was five different scenes that that Martin just folded into one scene at once. <laughs> well, and like it's so, I it was so perfunctory, and it's also so try hard. And I, I imagine it would have felt more shocking in '92. But like the scene of, hey man, this fundamentalist is actually looking around, is actually going around trying to get teenage dick, and like shocking. Well, and also like the fundamentalist isn't even violent, like. This fundamentalist trucker who picks up a teenage hitchhiker and shocker wants a blowjob and is a hideous albino, mm-hmm. but nothing is so deep he sees beyond society's restrictions and and finds his pink eyes attractive. But like, all of this adds up to nothing. <laughs> because like, dude just goes to sleep and nothing bugs out. Yeah. And well, that scene really bummed me out because I feel like when it starts... It it was it really hit on that particular fear of that like you might that we had in that lift that one time right when we had to spend an hour in a lift going to Boulder uh huh and the guy just aggressively played Christian music at us the whole time yeah and we were both sitting on like opposite sides of the car from one another trying because, very hard not to touch each other yeah like trying extremely hard not to hold hands. Yeah, like, I feel like the beginning of that scene when the dude starts talking Jesus-y really hit on that fear, and I thought it was really effective, and then it just kind of slid into the familiarity of, ah, he's a hypocrite. There was no nothing to it. It just fizzles, and there wasn't even any threat to the sexual content of the scene, because it goes out of its way to assure us that nothing is super down to give head to anybody for a transactional purpose. Right. Vampires like the taste of semen because it has protein and is therefore close to blood. And so it just turns into a whole lot of blah. Yeah. It's just a fallen souffle of a scene. Well, and also I have a hard time. Like, I wish the guy had attacked nothing and nothing had fucking killed him. And then, like, licked blood off his hand and been like, what is this? Right. That would have been a way more effective. And It would have been cheap still. Yes, but a more effective kind of cheap. And then he meets some dude who randomly offers him heroin. Uh-huh, and so so that he's super fucking high when he gets to the vampire party van. And it's so... And, like, I have a hard time you know finding the, the... When somebody offers you, you drugs, kids, you know what to say? You say, thank you, because drugs are expensive. Don't do drugs, kids, unless they're legal. That's right. Don't do... And, and if you know how they're going to affect your system and anything else you're on, and, be safe. And you're old enough. Mm-hmm. Seriously, don't do drugs without uh, a sober or experienced uh, person to, you know, guide you through it. This has been your old persons who've done drugs corner. No, it's it's very bad to have a bad trip without supervision. Oh, it's so scary. You can fuck yourself up so much worse than just the drugs. Like, even when it's completely legal where you are. Mm-hmm. It's bad. It can be bad. So, you know, do drugs if you want, but, like, be safe. Yeah. But- I have a hard time finding the incest, which is, it's so proud of the incest being shocking, 
when it turns around and has, which is again, what this one professor was super uh huh into as the ultimate expression of queer sexuality. Like, which, mm. Mm, I kind of want to look her up again and like be like, I want to pick your brain and then just fucking. Can you like <laughs> gorilla record that session? I think that's illegal. I mean, she's in Maryland. Maryland is a two-party consent state for recording audio. You can record video with one-party consent, but Mm -hmm. two-party consent for audio. But, like, if I said I was trying to find out for research purposes. But she was so proud of herself. We, we, We kind of... Oh, um, I'll finish my thought first. Um, it, it's hard to take the incest seriously as how shocking and backpatting it is when this book is so anti-choice. <sighs> like that, there is much hemming and hawing about whether it's whether it's worth trying to save Anne, who we know a hundred percent will die if she has this baby. Because what about nothing's little sibling though? They leave Anne's body to rot, but they bring back the fetus and bury it in North Carolina because it's a piece of her. It's not. No, it's it's a fetus. It's a fetus of an asshole who killed her. All of the women who die in this book are treated like garbage. Uh-huh. Like literal garbage. Their bodies are discarded. Yep. It sucks. This book hates women so much. All of the men get, like, eulogized and ceremonially disposed of. Mm-hmm. Like, some dudes die, but it's always this- it's always noble in a way. Yeah, like Wallace dies and it's tragic because he had a point, though. He was attempting to avenge his daughter 15 years late because that's when the plot kicked in. Yep. Women exist to propel men into the plot. And like the book kind of knows that Zilla is a fucker, but also we have an extended funeral for him. Yep, him and Christian. Okay, I like Christian, but I see what you mean. Your larger point point is... Uh huh. Also, I we made like a pact before we started recording that we were going to try to talk about interview as little as possible because that is a book we both enjoy very much. It has its own set of flaws, and it's not fair to constantly compare this book to and its failings to the things that interview does. Which well. I think we've avoided. Uh huh. But also, like, I literally have an interview with the vampire tattoo. Uh huh. That book is much better at, at the idea of. It's like this book is the sad, pale specter of of the kind of homoerotic bonds that that interview does naturally because its vampires don't fuck because they dead. But again, I think that is in fact why she didn't use interview as her queer because they entry into the vampiric sexuality course because dicks don't work because dicks don't work so it's not so, gay so it's not gay uh huh oh. She's one of those assholes on that io9 article from 2009. <laughs> I believe so. My god, that article. I believe she showed up on that article and was like, as a teacher of English, I have it on a good authority that the dicks do not, not touch. <laughs> Balls don't touch. This is not pool. <laughs> but but like choosing this to be your gay vampire content is just so offensive to me on a base level. Mm-hmm. On an intense, soul-crushing level. It, it was written like, by a gay fucking, dude working out some shit, but I bet that woman didn't know that. But, like, fucking choose- he was out by then. This was not that long ago. Yeah, but 
from what you've described of this woman to me. I mean, she seemed to go to the, she seemed like the kind of white lady to go to the Shambhala Center and meditate on crystals. She seemed like nothing's mom. Oh my God. But like, it's so offensive to me because you could have fucking looked at Carmilla. A gay vampire story, but that's lesbians, so. So, like, again, dicks did not touch. It's not gay. Right, right. Which, again, comes back to this, in which sexuality is inherently phallocentric. And it's this sort of, like, affirmatively phallic-based idea of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Everything turns around whether how you feel about dicks. Right, and how you interact with dicks. I'm I'm not saying that no vampire books should have, like, it, we shouldn't ban- Vampires should fuck. Yeah, I'm fine with vampires fucking, but, like, I have a particular affinity for for vampire stories where, where they dead, though. Like, they dead. Body don't work. But these vampires are different. They're not dead. Mm-hmm. They're all born of fleshy meat bodies, and they're always different, which- is what this reminds me of is Chrome, honestly, mm. on that level. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely that uh, you know the 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 king, it, the 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 tiny it, baby king who has the true blood and was sent away. Yeah, it's it's the switched at birth and actually a princess fantasy, mm-hmm. which I think I don't know. Like from what I understand, a lot of kids have that fantasy. My family was abusive growing up, but I could never like muster the ego to think. That maybe I was actually the princess of a faraway land. Mm-hmm. Just waiting for them to come and pluck you out where yeah, you belonged. I could, I could never buy that. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I maybe I just don't have the level of ego necessary to find that wish fulfillment fantasy gratifying. Mm-hmm. I just find it kind of gross and upsetting. Because it's very uber menschy. I feel like I read too many books at a young age that were reactionary to that, where, where where very early on they take care to slap down with you are not the special and how dare you think you were. Mm. Okay, but Un-London is good, though. Um, by China Mievel. Mm. It's specifically about a girl who, um, she and her friend climb the book ladder in the library up to Un-London, mm-hmm. where everything is reversed. And her friend's supposed to be the chosen one uh, to solve everything, but she has an asthma attack and has to be sent back home to London. And then the girl who's the unchosen in Unlondon uh, takes the book and starts on the quest, but because she's not the chosen one, she's the right one to do the job. So, like, she doesn't solve all of the puzzles in order. She just skips to the last one Is like, hey, like, I've got the token from the first two quests. You could go back there and find out the answer to what you wanted, but, like, I got a book to, to <laughs> deal with this. That's adorable. Uh-huh. Yeah, China Meevil's a weird fiction writer. I like me some weird fiction. I've only read a couple of his. Uh, Unlondon is, like, his uh, YA one. Hmm. And it was cute. Yeah, I, I feel like I can go ahead and spoil it and say we're not going to recommend that you read this book. It's upsetting. Yeah, it was upsetting and triggering in multiple ways. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of shaggy and unsatisfying. Again, this is a book where everybody just goes home at the end. and You know, the rapist gets to go home with his boyfriend. Uh-huh. The best person. God damn, this book cuts Steve so many breaks. I gotta find that passage, because fuck that passage, though. I'd bookmark, like, all the shittiest passages. Oh, no, it's the one you wrote on, so I feel like I can find it. It's this one. Ah. Um. So, 
Steve is having some more man pain because Anne is dead and feelings about it. Oh, also Anne's dad was a mad scientist. Yeah. I, uh, he was also extremely controlling. But Also, he was a northerner, which mm. if you've listened to our um, My Sweet Audrina podcast, it's like that same thing. Where, yeah, southerners are bad, but you know what's worse? Northerners who come into the south with their carpet bagging ways. We are terrible that way. <laughs> uh, so... Steve whirled on him. For a moment, Ghost thought Steve would bring the knife down on his face, but Steve only stood poised to attack, the muscles of his arms trembling. Listen, Ghost said as calmly as he could. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't even Arcady's fault. Anne made her own choice. Bewitched, he thought. But that wouldn't help Steve. Fuck Steve! Her own choice. To get fucked by a vampire without being advised of the risks. And also, the only reason she wasn't on birth control at the time was because the guy she was fucking had had a vasectomy, which made him lesser than because he was not fertile enough to kill a woman with his dick. Also, the re- the does vampire sperm eat through condoms, or do these fuckers just not believe in them? They just don't wrap up. Oh my god! Because there's the whole bit where where Christian is like, "Haven't you? Don't you fuckers know about condoms?" Because Christian is the best vampire. Christian's the best. Uh-huh. Like, he does still use the Arsler. Oh, he do. He super do. Well, I mean, he doesn't. The narration, does. while in her perspective, does. Yep. Oh, boy, this book is also full of slurs. All the slurs. Every single one of them. This has the R word. The N word. The F word. And the C word. Whatever words you're thinking of, it's the worst one with that letter. <laughs> because it's real and gritty. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. And, and again, that is one of those things that I've put up with in other books that I've liked. But it feels, again, very petulantly There's only done. one black person in this whole book set in the deep south. And it's a child who's been murdered. And they use the n-word about him. Yep. That happens. Also, this is petty, but Martin doesn't know Maryland. <laughs> Martin doesn't know what the demographics of Silver Spring are. Martin describes highway barriers looking like they do not look in Maryland. I get that you're working from atlases in the late 80s. But it's not enough. And if you did make a research trip, you did a shitty job of it. (laughs) Like, I have a visceral knowledge of every one of the details that he gets wrong about Southern Maryland in the early 90s. <laughs> and it's very funny to me. We, we have crossed that barrier of very specific knowledge. Yeah. Which I think probably happens for every book. Every book to someone somewhere? Yes. Yeah. But I'm going to be petty about it. Fair enough. It's funny to me. <laughs> Fair enough. Can we take a moment of silence for how much this the half measure of pretending that this book does that Anne is a protagonist for like a second it puts us in our perspective a few times which granted it already it does with every character whether or not it's warranted so this book isn't quite guilty of head hopping but it tends to switch between scenes within chapters which i hate it did happen a couple times within scene Uh, for as a pro editor i hate it it's the worst, cheapest device because you couldn't think of a way 
to have your damn character, to, to have an emotion come through with the character you picked to start the scene. So you got to slip over to the character who will have the most impressive reaction. It is rather Dan Brownish. I hate it. It, it is rather Dan Brownish, especially for the characters that you only get into their perspective once. Just for the sole purpose of emphasizing how cool our protagonists are. It's the worst. It took me weeks to read this book. It's like, it's not that long. It's about 350 pages in paperback font. My reread took, what, like four hours? Mm-hmm. Something like about that. that. So it's not that it's a long book or a hard book. It's just a miserable book. Like, it's it's such a punishing read. And I'm, I am... Probably slightly faster than the average reader, but not like a super fast reader. And again, weeks because it was, I hated it. I, I tried to be, because I knew going in that Dorothy hated this book. So I was like, I'm going to give this book every break I can give it. And I made it about a hundred pages in. I made it to the rape scene, in fact. Where it goes out of its way to emphasize that she has an orgasm during the rape. Mm-hmm. Again, all of these are things. Which is a thing that actually happens right. to, to people when they're raped sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then it, it had the scene with Ghost where he's like, well, yeah, this this happened to you and it sucked, but, like, I'm still on Steve's side. And like, Because it was shitty of you to cheat on him. So that makes it okay that he raped, raped you. you. Ghost, the moral center. Yeah, again, a lot of these problems come back to the fact that everyone who meets Ghost is like, wow, he's so pure and insightful and he's really deep. Which really weights the reader to take everything he says as how we are supposed to feel about a thing. Which is death to a book that's supposedly about a bunch of fucked up people. Yeah. You just can't. You just can't. It reminds me of um, during Marvel Civil War, where part of the intensely edgy turntabling was that Steve... And Peter were both supposed to be on the wrong side. I'm oh, sorry, Captain America and Spider-Man were both supposed to be on the wrong side. When previously they had been established as like the characters with some of the most clear-headed understanding of socioeconomic disparity and moral clarity. So a lot of people were just like, the fuck? I'm supposed to root against these guys? Especially when it was you know, basically a rehash of licensing debates from X-Men. So it's like, nothing of this adds up, and I am not going to side with Tony. So they just had to keep digging that hole in. Yeah, they kept digging that hole, and finally they killed fucking everybody. Man, Civil War was bad. Oh, it was bad. But, like, that's part of why it was bad. Uh-huh, because if you designate a character as your moral center, you better take care, bucko. Yeah, because when they stop being the moral center, you have to actually establish mm -hmm. a rationale for that. Or if they're still your moral center, then people are going to keep listening to them. Mm -hmm. Or call bullshit when they're not making sense. And also, Rip Christian, who I liked, who dies so completely arbitrarily. He dies to prove that death to the old vampire, the new vampire, live. Yeah. Death to every vampire a hundred years or older. Because this is about youth, man. Just, it is a profoundly unpleasant book that isn't even fun to read for historical reasons. Like, The Lost Boys is a more tightly told story than this, and The Lost Boys is kind of a mess. I mean, that end is cute, though. Oh, yeah, no, the end of The Lost Boys is what pulls the entirety of The Lost Boys together. <laughs> Not so, Lost Souls. 
lost souls. God damn it. Lost boys. God damn it. (laughs) Okay, but also that's the name of the mixtape, but it's constantly belabored that uh, the mixtape that Stephen Ghost put out is Lost Souls, but with a question mark at the end to keep it from being a dumb name. That makes the name not dumb. <sighs> the book doesn't have a question mark, so I guess we're just admitting it's a dumb name. If you took a drink every time, every time someone in the, a character in this book was referred to as a lost soul, you would be dead. Yeah, we didn't have fun with this one. It's not even fun bad. It's just kind of depressing. Yeah, it, it is significant. And in- it's trying not to be depressing. It's trying to be the upbeat hip. A moral questioning. Okay, but gun to your head, though. This or a Laurel K. Hamilton book. Which Laurel K. Hamilton book? Mm, a fair like, point. The other one, the just to make it equivalent, the ones with rape in them. I mean, even the good Laurel K. Hamilton books had people being bewitched out onto the dance floor. Yeah, that's true. We'll come around to those someday. Which anti-abortion book, though? <laughs> right. I feel like this has less in common with Laurel K. Hamilton and more in common with Twilight, frankly. Oh, harsh. Yeah. Um, this is kind of interesting in its place in vampire history as a backlash to the sort of pure aestheticism of of Anne's work and the stuff that it inspired. It is not a good book intrinsically. It's not particularly fun to read. It's kind of soul-crushing, especially if you read it as an adult there are other books you can read to get a snapshot of the era. I'm not really sure that... Um, like, maybe check out some of Martin's more recent stuff. Again, he seems like a decent dude. Yeah, his more recent stuff seems to be, like, uh, hard-boiled, yet cozy murder mysteries set within the restaurant world of New Orleans. Or his essays about Stephen King, which... Which you called... Uh huh. Because he has that very the way he writes filth is very particular to that way. You know how King writes small towns and with the very particular vernacular dialect and the focus on sort of small towny negligence and decay. Martin lifted that pretty wholesale. Like as somebody who grew up with King during a formative writing period and mimicked his style a lot, I see your shit, Martin. I think every teenage horror writer did that, though. Uh-huh. Like, every teenage guy who wrote horror. Yeah. Uh, so... And that's not me judging you, but you are part of a specific demographic. Like, King wasn't marketed towards, but was pretty pretty heavily consumed by latchkey dudes. Yeah. Yep, 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 like, yep, 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 yep. spent a couple nights a week at the library. There's so many King books, and they're thick. Uh-huh. So you can check one book out and it'll last you a couple days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an unfortunate book that is a snapshot of a bad moment in a dude's life and is now preserved forever and we had to suffer through it. But I can't, like, fucking why was it published? Because it was edgy and because he wasn't out at the time. So it looked I'd... like not other girls's. Like, I feel like that is a heavy component of it. Is mm-hmm. that this is a standout. Because look at this gritty realism, which boils down to misogyny. Misogyny is always read as realism. Yep. All right. Well, on that cheerful note, I I think that's a good place to leave this one. We've been going for a while. Yeah, it's just a frustrating book. And again, it left me frightened of my own reproductive organs for a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how that would happen. And uh, Anne Rice's um, 
Mayfair Witches series, there was some intense reproductive horror that freaked me out as a teenager, which is an unintended consequence of this kind of very vaginal horror. It's uh, it's certainly upsetting, but not in the way that perhaps would be better crafted. Those aren't words anymore. I need to drink some water. <laughs> if you hadn't hoed around, you wouldn't die. That's it. That's the and book. And it's always your choice, even when it's not your choice. Yep. Okay, well, if you enjoyed that, you can find more of our show on uh, SoundCloud by looking up Trash and Treasures, a uh, mainline show we do movies. Uh, sometimes we talk about Smallville. <laughs> if you want, you can email us uh, at trashandtreasures underscore pod at outlook.com. Or you can find us on social media on Tumblr at Trash and Treasures Pod, on Twitter at Trash Pod. And if you give us a shout out or if you come say hello to us, we will give you a shout out on the show. Um, thanks to at Bojack90, who... Uh, I don't know, just for being nice. They're they're always kind of around <laughs> liking stuff, being around from being like nice. the early days of the of the Twitter, so heart warmed. <laughs> so because this was so rough, we decided to change it up for next time. Yeah, we're looking at something dumb and like mildly offensive, but you know, trying to give ourselves and you listeners a break. From the hashtag problematic content God. into the just dumb science content. Because a bad book cast can only go so long before it discusses Michael Crichton. <laughs> so we bring you Ball. <laughs> yeah, Ball starring the, uh, the, the extremely muscular scientist Sharon Stone. <laughs> uh-huh, and Dustin Hoffman. Oh my god. Yeah, we needed a break, frankly. So next time we're going to to, to look yeah. at Michael Crichton does Lovecraft. Because, like, we're not qualified to look at Michael Crichton's, you know, rising sun or something like that. You know, fuck that book, but that is not our lane to talk about. Uh-huh. So we're going to complain about his just plain dumb writing. Hooray! Yeah, so you can look forward to that. And uh, until next time, take care of yourselves. See y'all. 